Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hi, everyone. We are here with Monica Rodriguez, who is an agent at my agency. Monica, I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Tell us about you, how you got started in publishing, and all the cool things you did before, because you have all this experience that a lot of agents don't have. Yeah, which is kind of a testament to there's not really one path to publishing, which I always like to say. So I'm a junior agent at Context Literary, where I'm also the director of brand management there. Basically, what that means is I help support the marketing plans of our authors at Context alongside my agenting. Uh, But I'm also a writer. I think I got into publishing because I fell in love with reading in elementary school. So this is like a predestined destiny. Had I known this is where I ended it up, probably not. But I fell in love in reading. I would go to the library every chance I got. Um, At my school, we had these like dog tags for reading, like as like a competition with yourself. But I like wanted to collect all of them because I'm a, I say I read for sport because I like to devour books in that way. Uh, But then I kind of fell out of love of reading and then kind of got back into it as an adult, which sort of sparked my writing again, um, because I'm also a writer and I have an agent myself and I'm on submission with my debut YA rom-com. So I wear a lot of hats, but I think my path into publishing was further along into my career. I, uh, I got a public relations degree in college and worked in marketing and PR for over 10 years in advertising and different PR firms and different industries and then worked in the travel industry for six years. And so a lot of the skills that I had, you know, learned along the way of my career as I was in the query trenches myself reminded me of my public relations days and pitching editors for projects and how much my color-coded spreadsheets for my querying process was exciting to me again. (laughs) And I got curious about agenting along the way because I didn't see enough Latinx agents out there. And it was really important for me to know that if I was eventually going to have a seat at the table, I wanted to keep pulling up chairs through the querying process. I think I learned that even at that point, this is going to take a long time. And I don't think my voice is the only voice that can carry this sort of story mission that I had. And so actually, thanks to Jessica for tweeting about a opportunity at Context. Uh, Jessica was one of the agents that I followed on Twitter. And I applied just to like scratch the itch and see what it was about. I met Tamara Dinsky, who's a president of the agency, and she was looking for an internal marketing position. And because I saw Jessica's tweet, I took a I guess, calculated risk. It's always scary to try something completely new at any level of your career. And now I'm here. <laughs> I love that so much. I we always think like the ripple effect of stories and books and like the network we have here in publishing. Mm-hmm. And I love that, Jessica, you just put that out there and you're like, yes, 
I mean, I'm curious about so many things now that I've heard your bio. I've learned so much about you. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, one of the things that I think is really interesting, you're writing YA, but it, you said you lost your love of reading after elementary school. Why did you lose it? And then what are you, what is like, I, let's not talk about your book since it's kind of like out there and it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, in, in, in process. But like, do you feel just with this whole like mission of where you're going, like what, what made you not love reading in that gap? Yeah, I think about this all the time. I'm a very healing, I, I call myself a healer within myself. And so sort of healing past versions of me. And I think realizing that at that age, I think specifically middle school, I was exposed to more creative outlets, uh, like music, art, theater, and I've always been a very creative person. And so wanting to touch those other creative aspects of myself was alluring. But also, as I got older, a lot of times I felt like I was the only one still reading. And it almost felt like I was the only kid at the library. Everyone else started having friends and like going to football games and basketball games. And I think in that young age of adolescence, when you're sort of trying to navigate who you are, but also how to fit in, reading became, this is isolating. No one else is doing this. Mm. And so let me go try to make friends another way because the friends in these pages will always be there for me, but I don't want to be left behind almost, I think. And so between middle school and high school, I didn't really read that much. And I think I sort of pushed that, that part of myself away for a really long time. And then when I got to college, uh, I will in high school, I did write a lot. I was the editor in chief of my newspaper. I was out on the football field taking photos. Like I was really like into writing in a different form. And when I got to college, I ripped the rug under every creative possibility because I had to focus on getting a job. Like my college experience was very, it wasn't a party atmosphere. It was very, I, I worked two jobs full-time as a full-time student. And so a lot of that sort of becoming an adult and preparing myself into the adult world happened at a very early age. But even so in the college experience, my goal was I better have a job when I get out of here because I need money. And so it was a survival tactic. And when I finally got into the real world and got in my first job in advertising at an advertising agency, later on, that was really difficult, kind of that transition between school and working uh, full-time, burning out really quickly, and then transitioning into a client-facing role, which in an agency, you either work at an agency for clients or in a client-side-facing role, you are the client and have an agency that sort of helps you do all sorts of marketing things. And so I switched over client-side and worked in tourism for six years. And that job allowed me to kind of take a step back and I was like, oh, I have time to take a lunch break what do I want to do on my lunch break? Go get lunch. Like I actually had like an hour that it was a state job. So it was like mandated that I had to like leave and go do something. And then that's when I had the time to like for an hour a day, actually start thinking about things again. And that's when I started writing again. And I started that by doing a blog that I call Find a Lovely Life that I still do. It's kind of transitioned more into a social media first approach versus blogging because I still have that sort of like 
love-hate relationship with writing <laughs> uh, personally about my personal life, but that sort of led me into wanting to write maybe in that chapter in that of life that I missed out on so many books because even as an adult, I started reading again and I read like a hundred books in a year. It was devouring. I was like, oh my God, I've been so deprived. I love this so much. So it sounds like you're at the place where, and I think this is really interesting. We talk to writers and agents. I, I think you hear these stories and you're like, okay, you start with a passion and then we all meander to all these different places, but you're in a space right now where you have everything you need. You have a marketing background, you have, you know, education on both sides, agenting and writing and PR. You're like a triple threat. I love that so much. <laughs> So tell us, like, what are you currently looking for right now in your inbox? So this year, I was really excited to build my kid lit list. And I opened up even to illustrators in picture books and graphic novel illustrator, comic book artists as well. And most of my client list right now is I have illustrators, graphic novelists, picture book authors, and three adult authors. And so I want to... I'm excited to kind of dig my teeth into more adult manuscripts next year. Anything in romance, sci-fi, upmarket, speculative. I always say I tend to gravitate towards stories that are coming of age because I have like this unofficial TED talk that's called There's No Such Thing as Coming of Age YA. We're always coming of age. <laughs> uh, we're always growing as human beings. I love messy characters. I think family dynamics in sibling relationships, because there's no manual on how to deal with adult sibling relationships. And so any sort of story that navigates that and any family setting. I also love first gen stories. I'm first gen myself. So anything that uplifts a perspective that's not my own in that same identity I love reading about those stories as well. And anything set outside the US, I spent a lot of my career in the tourism industry. And now I sort of have changed my relationship with travel. But a part of that is also traveling through books. So <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Can you give us a preview of that TED Talk where you say not coming of age does not exist in YA? <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's unofficial because it's in my head. So I think I have always been someone that's been really self-aware and always wanting to grow and be the best version of myself that I can be. And I feel like society really judges the process of that in terms of growth and healing is messy. It's not linear. It can take 10 years. It can take longer, especially if you're grieving things, not just people, whether that's life goals or new chapters. There's always a version of you that's going to let go of something that you thought was going to be forever. And so sometimes when those things happen, they sort of align with milestone ages that our society has put this heavy weight on us to be a certain thing by X age. And so terms like midlife crisis, or you can only like come of age when you're in high school. Like I have like beef with those terms because everybody's timeline is different. And it's not fair to like just say, oh, they're going through a midlife crisis you don't know what they've gone through their entire life like you don't know that and so I feel like in that same vein of empathy if we all sort of kept our eyes on our own painting in terms of 
when the timeline is right for us to grow in certain aspects of our life, we wouldn't judge other people so much and their journey of healing because everybody's growing at different paces, just like everybody's getting an agent at different times. Everybody's finishing writing their first draft at different times. And so I think letting go or trying to let go of that need to be on the same timeline as everyone else will alleviate so much fear and stress. And it's not something I've perfected. It's still something I'm, I constantly think about and compare myself to other people's timelines as well. So just knowing that or trying to be more of the in-between is what I write about in my nonfiction sort of work with my blog of really showing the in-between of growth and healing because everyone just sort of like says, I'm healed. I love myself, but they don't really talk about the messy, ugly part that has to happen and has to happen over and over again to get to that point, if ever. I love that so much. And I love the idea of coming of age as a writer. Like we don't, mm. you know, people are like, am I too old to write? No, no, <laughs> no. I think sometimes if you look at your life and you'd be like, oh, I, I really wish I was published during this time. But then when you look back on it, you're like, oh, that would have been really hard with all these mm-hmm. other things you ended up having. So I think it kind of just ends up working out the way it's supposed to work out. So I would like to know more about your color-coded spreadsheets and all of the things that you <laughs> yes. while being both an agent and a writer. And where do you think people are missing the connection? Because I feel like mm. people can sometimes imagine one side, sometimes imagine the other, but imagining how the two go together, I think mm-hmm. most people miss that. Yeah. So I've always been a color-coded spreadsheet girly. In my queries, I actually opened it up. I haven't looked at it for a while and I opened it up and it actually looks a lot like how my spreadsheets are with my own clients. And so for when I was in the querying trenches, I started out in batches. And so I tracked sort of the day that I sent the query, the possible when I was going to follow up, the certain rejection that I got. I tracked, you know, whether or not I had like check boxes. Uh, I even had like a count on the side of how many I still had out, how many passes I had, how many R&Rs I had. And so I was, it was a tracking spreadsheet and that just comes from like my public relations, but more so project management background of like, okay, I'm moving this as a project. How do I manage? And every time I get a uh, pass from an agent, I would go and update my spreadsheet. I have, I don't know why, but I love this red light, green light system. <laughs> Red is pass, yellow is maybe, and then green is, oh my God, I I sent out 111 queries and was rejected 111 times. And one agent that was through an R&R offered me rep. So Lady Gaga was right. (laughs) It only takes one yes to have the right vision for your book. And that's something that I learned as a writer, which really helps me as an agent, because kind of seeing both sides of it, you really want an agent that sees the vision of your book as much as you see it, but then asks a question that makes it go a hundred miles again. I think once you sort of finish writing your book, gotten it to the best possible place that you can get it, and you embark on this like query trenches process, there comes a time where you're going to get feedback. And that feedback might be an instant rejection. It might be a revise and resubmit, which some people call an R&R. And at that point, when you start getting feedback that could be constructive, you get to decide, do I want this story to follow this new path? Does that resonate with me? 
I got two R&Rs that didn't really resonate with me. And it wasn't until this other R&R was just asking a question, what if it took place here? And then it just opened up this entire new project because I think throughout the query trenches, you sort of forget what you write and start to lose love for it a little bit. It's kind of sad, but you just sort of feel like maybe it was just me that thought this was the best thing I've ever written in my life. And I love it so much. And it starts to feel like it starts to tarnish that excitement starts to tarnish along the way. And then someone will come and I think that's what's so important about the age. I always call the agent author relationship sort of as a creative business partnership. So you want someone that it is a business partnership, but shares that creative vision and motivates you to continue having that creative vision. And so my spreadsheets with my clients look sort of the same where once we're in a good place to kind of go out into the world and release their baby into submission I have a shared Google spreadsheet with my clients where everything is organized by publisher and print who I'm going to send it out to any notes that I had, whether I met with the editor or I saw something on their manuscript wish list that I added on there. And then I have like a track of status. All right. I pitched it. They are out of office until X day. I follow it up on this day and then another column that's like next steps. This is what I'm going to do. Because as an agent, I believe if you want bad news, you get to decide when you look at the bad news. It doesn't come from me necessarily. And so if you're up at three in the morning wondering where your book is, you can look at the spreadsheet, find good news. Because I always add a little Monica note to the past. <laughs> like, I, at least I don't agree with this. I love it so much. We're going to keep moving forward. So it's like, don't worry. It's not like, nah, there's a bad news. Move on <laughs> sort of thing. But I update that as soon as I do anything and they know that it's there and available to them. And that's sort of my main way of keeping track of submissions. So it was a skill that I did for myself as a writer in the query trenches and transferred that over to this is how we're going to track this submission with editors, not agents in that scenario. <laughs> I knew he was going to pop up eventually, but my dog has entered the chat. <laughs> Hi, Jude. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's one of the important things that I feel is when choosing an, to work with an agent, because you still have authority over that. You get to decide, is this the best agent for me right now? Because that might also change later in your career. I think another thing that I have learned as an agent that I didn't fully understand as a writer in the query trenches was that a relationship with your agent might evolve and change and it might not be with the same agent and that's okay. It doesn't mean, oh my God, I have to start. It doesn't mean you're starting from square one. It's that you're getting redirected into your purpose. I'd love to talk with you about the feedback that you get because as an agent, you know that not every rejection makes sense. And as a writer, it's hard to keep that in mind as you go through this. So can you tell us about that process and what writers should do if they're like, I don't know if I agree with this, but it's an expert, so I should believe them, right? Mm, that's a great question because I think you kind of get to a certain point in your writing where you're releasing this to someone that should be able to this is the key to like making my book the greatest thing in the next step of the evolution of it, right? Because I can say firsthand, the book that I wrote that I queried to my agent 
is a completely different book than the book that went out on submission. And that often happens, not in a bad way, but the point of entering into a business partnership with an agent is to be able to make the book great and champion it to make it even better because that's why you entered the query trenches. You needed help to make the book better so that it could eventually sell in the traditional pathway. I feel like the first bit of feedback that you might get from an agent, you might take it to heart because it's the first time that you're hearing anything of value. And so you feel like, well, I'm not going to hear anything ever again. So I have to do it now or else this is like dead. And like, I don't know, sometimes I kind of have that path of thinking where it's like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to get that chance again. And my advice is to take that feedback and wait a little bit, see if it resonates with you. I think this industry is still so speculative. Like I had an R&R from an agent that talked about how they really wanted it to be more of a love triangle. And that was a trope that I was not I did not resonate with that. That That's not what I was trying to do with the book. And so should I change it so that it is more appealing to a bigger audience? And I, I, I sat with that a lot because I felt like, well, this is it. This is me selling. This is what it's like. And I decided not to because like I could write a love triangle story, sure. But this one just wasn't that. And I learned this from Jessica on the agenting side, which I wish I would have known as a writer is kind of waiting for like three or four data points to gather and see, is this something that multiple sources in the speculative realm of feedback is resonating with more than one person. And if it is, then maybe I would have taken it a little bit more of a serious feedback in terms of maybe I do need to sit down and really think about the structure of these characters and their dynamics because it sounds like it could be better understood this way versus I don't see them as a love triangle. This one agent does. Do I really want to rewrite it? Does that excite me to dive back into this 60 plus K manuscript to rewrite the whole dynamic between these three. And if the answer, if it wasn't a hell yes, then I didn't do it. Versus if I got a feedback from an agent that said, what if this was set in a different time period? Or what if this was set in the, like taking setting, for example, that really excited me. And that was a green flag that maybe I should think about this feedback a little bit more. And then in terms of, you know, you do sometimes get a lot of warm responses and it doesn't really feel like feedback. And that doesn't mean that the agent didn't read your query or your first time pages or your manuscript, even if you get a full request. It just means that whatever the form is, I'm going to speak to my own because I I don't know what other agents interpret that as. So for my former responses, it's really important for me to have an editorial vision for your work. If I can't think of a way to make this book better, I feel like there's someone else out there that will just have this like wonderful strategy to just blossom this book. And it's not a rejection on your writing. It's that I want to show up in this partnership as much as you've already done the work to create this world and this characters. And I want to be able to contribute to that to make it a bigger picture. If I feel like I don't have the right vision to do that, I don't think we'd be a great creative business partnership just because 
I wouldn't be pulling my weight and I want to show up and pull my weight. And so I think that's why I, if I say I don't have the editorial vision to champion it, that's what I mean. I didn't, it's not that I didn't fall in love with it. Sometimes I have maybes in my full manuscript request and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to buy this the minute it hits. Like, I would love to read this. I just, as an agent in that creative business partnership mindset, I need to make sure that I can make it even better. And sometimes I can't think of any ideas and I get so frustrated with myself so I'm like, this is such a good book. Why can't I think of anything to make it better? And that doesn't mean that it's perfect because I have not come across a perfect submission. There's always something to be worked on at that level, even if it's just pacing or structure and not necessarily character development. And so if I can't think of it, and I sometimes I spend a long time really thinking about it, and then I have to let it go. And that breaks my heart too, because I might really love it, but I, I have to remind myself that it is a creative business partnership and this one sort of creative relationship that I have with writing through agenting. And sometimes the delay for me is that I know there is one big skeleton key edit, like set it in this other time period. I love that. It makes me almost want to make a board game that's like, okay, what are you going (laughs) to change? Setting. Okay, roll the dice. All right, your new setting is, which I think would be great fun. Let's do that, Julie. Let's have an event like that sometime. You're making me nauseous. Sorry. (laughs) Um, so yeah, Monica, this is pretty much our process. I come up with off the wall ideas and Julie is like, dear God. Um, (laughs) anyway. Sounds like a great board game they can buy. (laughs) Yes, that's what we need, a board game manufacturing license. Um, anyway, so yeah, but sometimes the reason I don't get back to a full request for a while is because I know there is that one big edit. Mm -hmm. And if I just find it, everything will snap into place. But then Mm -hmm. there's also the fact where it's like, if we're getting to like the six month mark, I can't keep them waiting that long without feeling terrible. So it's like, when do I just cut my losses and say no, sometimes confessing that I feel like it's one edit away from figuring it out, but I don't know what that answer is. Um, Sometimes not. Maybe it's not. So this, I was thinking this, I've been traveling and I was at the airport and I was, I got really fascinated by the different outfits in the airport and the, the different way people roll, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, as a, as a people watcher, I was like, it's, it's so interesting, right? Like, like we are all in our bubbles of points of view. Like it doesn't matter. We're in our creative bubbles. We're in our agency bubbles. We're in our community bubbles. And like, sometimes we're putting things out, out there to agents as writers with assumptions about who people are. And we see that at the academy sometimes, you know, where people are like, I thought we'd vibe like a certain way. And they're disappointed that that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the submission process has to be a mix of, you know, like approximation. But also what I'm hearing from you is you were like, no, in my heart, it was this, right? And sometimes I feel like, I mean, like writers can... We, they can start ping-ponging in a, in a project. This one wants this way. This one wants it. This one wants it present tense. This one wants it past. Mm-hmm. This one wants you to go third. This one wants you to have it in like the Netherlands, but you've never been to the Netherlands. You know what I mean? Like it's so complicated. I want to just go back to, I just feel from you, Monica, that you have a great deal of empathy from being mm-hmm. from both sides of the table. Do mm-hmm. you think there's an empathy gap in this whole process? Like what tips do you have for writers to make this process emotionally easier? That's a good question. I think because a lot of writing is so isolating and it feels like 
you're creating something, you know, so close to your heart in a lot of ways. I think all of us tend to write from the heart mostly, um, especially when it's that first project you're sort of preparing to kind of share with the world in that sort of agent author relationship way, uh, because everyone says, write what you love. And I, I stand by that. I think reminding yourself of your why that why you're writing this like you reminded me (laughs) like 20 minutes ago of you know if I'm writing this for the middle school young adult me that lost a part of herself for so long for peer pressure for new creative ideas for whatever the reasons were I think the empathy comes with reconnecting with who you're writing this for. And most of the time, subconsciously, it is for some version of yourself that needs that sort of cathartic healing through your writing. That's so interesting. That's what I thought you were going to say when I asked you that question. I thought you were like, (laughs) yeah, I was filling in for that girl that lost reading. And then I was like, so many other interesting things that I think created who you are, which is all really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe subconsciously I knew, but it wasn't until, I think that's what therapy is, right? (laughs) It wasn't until someone says it back to you that you're just like, wait a minute, that is so important. Because I think even as a writer, there's a certain point in whether it's in the query trenches, whether it's after you've gotten an agent and you're on sub and you haven't heard back where you start to question, is this really what I'm meant to be writing? Because for some reason, it doesn't seem to be aligning, right? And uh, one of the things that I think the industry has taught me is the definition of time being relative and the value of patience and what that actually means in practice and not just by saying, oh, publishing takes forever sort of thing and trying to really find that sort of human empathy connection back to why I'm doing this. I think agents wear a lot of hats and we're spending a lot of plates and a lot of us have to have multiple jobs just to keep doing this one job that we love because financially the structure and most agencies are commission only. And so it really takes a toll on the agenting side of things, trying to balance everything and still have empathy to take on projects that we have to absolutely love because we are not sure when we're going to make any money out of this project and not saying that that's what we're doing it for. We all have to make money somehow. We all have to eat, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so to really choose to do this profession, knowing that there's small victories and milestones to celebrate in between, but knowing that there's a lot of questions we have to ask ourselves to see if this is something that we can also continue to take on while balancing growing our career while supporting our current clients, while making sure I'm able to give 100% to this project that I want to bring on again as as a new project on my plate as well. And that also has a lot of factors into depending on what season you're in, what year of an agent you're in. Maybe all your books are coming out this year. And so you might not have a lot of time. You have to sort of tip the scales of time management a little bit more this year versus last year. And so I think when it comes to rejections from agents, empathy on both sides, knowing that there are a lot of agents out there that might really love something or give feedback as quick feedback as they can, and maybe some 
give a little bit more feedback than others. And everybody's different in terms of what they can handle and giving feedback for. But reminding yourself as a writer of your why and turning on the empathy there, but also reminding yourself that you're looking for that partnership that is not going to lower your empathy, but raise your empathy even more and meet you at the level that you have your full cup, right? So if me as an agent, I'm not able to take on any more clients for whatever reason, I might not be able to get to my query inbox as quickly, but I still want to have my queries open because I don't want to close necessarily. There might be a day in the month where I finally have time to get into it and I want I think that's the hunger part of being an agent, right? We want to discover new stories. We love new stories. And so I think putting the pressure as a writer of controlling the timing of when that's going to happen, you're competing against however many agents you queried. I queried 100. 100 different agents, different perception of time management, life stage, career stage. So there's so many unknown variables and like into the unknown And I think that's one of the things I've sort of learned about this industry too, is reframing rejection as protection and redirection for your work. And that's scary because there's a lot of trust in the unknown when you frame it like that, which can feel even more scary than just fearing rejection itself, because I know I'm going to get rejected. I'm just afraid of that thing versus I'm afraid of, I have no idea what's going to happen. That's a scarier fear, right? But if you focus on your love for your craft, the alignment will eventually find you. You just have to release the control of that timing, which I'm still working on. Why don't you tell us about Stephanie and Daigo? Oh, yes. So I actually have a funny story. Uh, Stephanie and Daigo, it's funny because when I first start my first year of agenting, I mean, I think the imposter syndrome I'm learning never leaves, (laughs) but it was very much so of, I told myself, I don't think I could sign a duo author combo my first year. That just seems like, like level five agenting thing. And I don't know if I can do graphic novels. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to write a graphic novel. How am I supposed to help these two wonderful (laughs) co-creators with their project? And so Stephanie was the one, Stephanie Evangelista and Daigo Fukuda, I did end up signing them. Stephanie was the one that queried me first. I actually passed because as an agent, I just didn't feel like I could, the imposter syndrome was really heavy on me. It was still my first year agenting. She came back and I'm not saying to do this, but I asked her, you know, if you have other, they queried me with a Webtoon comic series and Webtoon is sort of like an online platform where comic artists can post their serial comics. And so I love their Webtoon comic. And I asked if they had any other ideas that hadn't been published yet. And they came up with three proposals and I call them my original comeback kids because they came back with more and they were eager and hungry. (laughs) And I loved all their ideas. And the one that we ended up going on sub with uh, was called President of the Anime Club, which was my first sale as an agent. So I ended up signing a co-creator author duo and selling my first graphic novel. And that defined to me that whatever scares me, I need to say yes to (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's going to push me and motivate me further. And tying it back to all my marketing and advertising experience, a lot of my job was giving feedback to creatives. And so even that skill kind of was resurrected a little bit when I was working 
with graphic novel artists, like, oh, I know how to do this. I did this with advertisements. I did this with website. I did this with a different form of creative. It was just a different medium. And so I have this thing with my clients where I only call them with good news. Otherwise, our communication is via email or that spreadsheet I mentioned earlier. And so I was so excited to call my clients for the first time. Uh, And it turns out that they stayed up late playing the new Zelda game. And so I had to wait for them to wake up and call me back. And I was sitting on this good news for like six hours. (laughs) And so, yeah, they finally called me back. That is literally the the most... (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like I was at playing Zelda. <laughs> Meanwhile, anime. Yeah. Yeah. There it's literally like they recently got married and it's just been this, it's been a great year for them. Uh, I went to a Kinokunuya, which is a Japanese bookstore and got some boba to celebrate because that's what happens in the novel, in the graphic novel with the characters. So I think that's a new tradition I'm always going to do is something celebratory that honors the characters in every book. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so, but yeah, they're great. So that book is coming out, talking about patience and timing and publishing. It's coming out 2027. So it's a book by First Second, which is an imprint of Macmillan. And yeah, we're all really excited about it. We're still, I think they're still, cel- we're still celebrating. But yeah, they're, it's a testament to, I think, even taking it as in the writer's perspective. You know, if an agent asks you to see something else, specifically in illustrator or even graphic novelist, um, since that's sort of sold by proposal and it's not a full manuscript, there's art involved. Um, so it takes longer to publish because they have to draw like 300 pages uh, to a full book, fully rendered. But yeah, that's that's the story of Stephanie and Daigo, <laughs> my, my first sale, who are my original comeback kids. It sounds like a screenplay. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've said for years that we should make agents send out fake projects, get rejected, and see that mm-hmm. even when it's something you don't even care about, it still hurts. So if you came up with a homework assignment for agents, what would it be so that we could see what it's like from the writer side of the desk? I would say write your own book, not a fake book. Because I think, I feel like that was my path to agenting. And that's why I feel it has elevated my empathy for writers so much. And even when I work with my clients in the editorial process, I know you're not going to write every day. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not going to put a deadline on you. It's okay. Unless you need me to, like I will, but I get it. I think as agents sitting down and even if it's one part of the process as a writer, so like outlining the book, writing the first draft, which good luck. <laughs> and then revising the book yourself, taking that through a beta reader phase and seeing what that feels like. Not always positive feedback or experiences. Yeah. Can and one then, of them be like that guy in your MFA? Who's just like, this is wrong and bad. I am perfect. (laughs) Uh, And then the next step is putting together a query submission list, which I think that is mostly related to what skills that agents do for their authors and editorial in that editorial submission process. So that's not as far off as like a new thing of like empathy. And I also feel like as agents, we get rejected all the time for our clients' work. So, and that rejection hurts me more than getting rejected in my own work. Like if my agent sends me a rejection from an editor, I'm like, ah, okay, 
that's fine. But if I got a rejection from an editor for my client's work, I've cried before. Like it just hurts me more because I have to update the spreadsheet or maybe it was like an editor they were really, really hoping would be a yes. And that rejection hurts me more than being rejected for my own work. I don't know why. It's just like, oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm so numbed to it, I guess. And that might not be a, a good thing, but it's going to make the yes feel so much better. <laughs> well, I, think that's I can feel anything too. by then. <laughs> I think that's useful for writers to hear because, you know, they hear a lot like, oh, we get rejected too. But to hear that it hurts more than your own writer it rejections. Does. To me, it does to me. I have to go take a walk before I even do anything and just like really sit with it because it's just really, it's... Another unofficial TED talk of mine is there's no such thing as a finish line. Like every single door you think you get to, it's great to celebrate those milestones because that's what keeps you going in this industry. But I think, Julie, to your point earlier, like you can start writing whenever you want because the profession of writing is not a profession. It's who you are. And so whether that's that was so strong when you were younger and you just really love doing it or fun when you were younger, and it kind of keeps whispering back to you to come back to it, it's a part of you. And so it's not something that you can just stop doing. It might look different. Like I wrote social media copy for years. <laughs> and that was not the same love I had for writing a novel. But I think it's just who you are as a person. And falling in love with that version of yourself again is really beautiful, however many times that needs to happen throughout your life. That's just, that's the perfect way to think about it all. Um, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at Lovely Monica, which is L-O-V-E-L-E-E-M-O-N-I-C-A-A. Or if you are into more of that self-healing nonfiction writing stuff I mentioned, you can find me at Find a Lovely Life. And you're open for meetings with us. I think you still have a few yes. left for October. Thank you, Monica. Thank you so much for being here. Have a good rest of your Thanks day. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And that only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to Academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.